Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. A heads up, this episode includes words that some listeners may find abhorrent. Nothing explicit. I loathe the word fascia, meaning connective tissue between the skin and muscles. Like I said, nothing explicit, just maybe ew. Or not. I really wish we could just banish all words that start with J-U-N. June, junk, jungle, junket. And for reasons you may not fully understand. It's just a really unsavory sound. It just makes me feel a little bit queasy. There's something of a smugness and a small-minded kind of quality that these words seem to express. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, stories about languages and the people who speak them. Why is it that some people cringe at seemingly ordinary words? Is it because of how they sound? Or is it the meaning that bugs us? Or something else? What are we talking about here? Like taboo words, racial epithets, business jargon, that kind of thing? I think we get why we would hate taboo words, racial epithets, even business jargon. So there's context there, right? They, they have history, business jargon. It can feel meaningless or maybe you associate it with your job and you've got Chad and middle management using words like leverage or stakeholders or ideate. Of course, you're, it's always Chad, isn't it? It is always Chad. Sorry, Chad. So it makes sense why you would hate words when there is an unpleasant context associated with them. Hatreds of these kinds of words, there's a term for it. We've coined the term word rage. Word rage? That sounds like road rage. Is it, is it a similar thing? Exactly. It does seem to be a form of anger, and it's socially directed. So Mark Lieberman is a professor of linguistics at the University of Pennsylvania. And as far as I can tell, he's one of the first researchers to observe the really strong reactions that people have to certain kinds of words. And he uses the term word rage for this anger that people feel about business jargon or the misuse of literally. They feel that some kind of social norm has been violated by the people who do that, who talk that way. And usually it's a group that they otherwise dislike, like, you know, kids today or sports announcers or managers. It's kind of a pet peeve, right? Exactly. And a pet peeve is different from another kind of word hatred that Mark and others call word aversion. Um, have you listened to the Grammar Girl podcast? Oh, yeah. I love that. Minion Fogarty. It's a great podcast that tells you about grammar, not judgmental, really entertaining. So she recently did an episode in which she talked about why do people hate certain words. And she spoke with a psychologist named Jade Wu, who had this helpful distinction. The way I like to think about it is if the word brings about this reaction, no matter the context, then maybe that's word aversion. Whereas if it's okay in some contexts, for example, I hear a lot of people say that they really don't like it when people say literally, when they don't mean literally, when they mean figuratively. Um, so that seems to me like a pet peeve. So what's an example of word aversion? Okay, here's a list. Why don't you read it? And then we'll talk about it. I'm okay. going to send it to you in a text message. Okay. And while Patrick consults his phone, Subtitle is a proud member of Hub and Spoke. It's a collective of energetic, idea-driven podcasts, including Rumble Strip, 
It's a podcast about everyday people, the kind you may meet, but you may not know much about them. Truckers, hunters, former prisoners, people who go hungry. It's wonderful ear-opening stuff brought to you by Erica Heilman. Check out all of the Hub & Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. Okay, here goes. Tidbit. Blouse. Wrinkle. Gorgeous. Chuckle. Chit-chat. Pugilist. Luggage. Dollop. Crevice. Slacks. They're kind of just ordinary words, aren't they? So this is a list gathered from hundreds of comments on message boards and in comment sections of articles about word aversion. Like People get really riled up about this and want to submit their own examples. It is very individual, but people will often follow up with uh, comments that say things like, it just makes me cringe, I don't know why, or I can't even stand to see it in writing. And I admit that I've got a few like that. What, you mean you've got a few words like that that you can't, that make you cringe? Uh, There are a handful of ordinary words that just drive me crazy. I will go through all sorts of linguistic hurdles to avoid them. And I sometimes hold a slight grudge against people who use them. I really try not to. I can't remember a time when I didn't have this. It's just a handful of words. Just a handful. Okay, now you're going to say them out loud. You're not leaving this room until you say them out loud. Okay, I'm going to go from easier to more difficult. Okay, there's four of them. The first one... Deep breath. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm just going to do it fast like a band-aid. The first one is batch. I hate that Batch? Yeah, it's just... It's just annoying. Oh, God, I probably used that to you before, haven't I? No, I, I, I... I don't think so, but I think... Uh, oh, you, you would have remembered. Or, or you've accumulated enough goodwill in my life that I've forgiven it. The next one is supper. What a stupid word. <laughs> the next two I'm just going to spell. One is M-E-A-L. This next one is... Can I, I can't say it, right? No. I mean, no, you okay. In a, it's better in a British accent, just say it. No, no, I'll hold off until I hear the last one. <laughs> the last one is S-N-A-C-K. <gasps> the best description I've read for what it feels like, because there is a very physical, it's a visceral, it's just like an instantaneous reaction in the body. Best description I've come across is someone who wrote, it's like seeing a spider on your arm, and you suddenly realize that the spider has been there for a while. You probably feel shivers. It, it's just, ugh. Yeah, no, I, I get it, although I, I quite like spiders. So. Okay, so the metaphor that occurs to me then that might resonate with you is cilantro aversion. I love cilantro. I do too. I love so I will eat add it by the fistful to food, but there is a minority of people for whom cilantro tastes like soap. Yeah, my sister-in-law hates cilantro and and I think she showed me at some point that there was some research into this aversion to cilantro and other foods. Is that, is that right? Right. So there is a chemical reason why some minority of people just can't stand cilantro. There is research that supports it. Ah, oh, so if there is a scientific basis for cilantro aversion. Does that mean that there's also one for word aversion? 
The strongest research on word aversion has focused on one word. Moist. 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 <laughs> Sick. Yeah. So that was some of People magazine's sexiest men saying what's basically the most hated word in English. And if you've watched TV over the past 15 years or so, you may have seen this word played for laughs. We hate the word moist. Moist. Like on Saturday Night Live. Moist. Moist. Or How I Met Your Mother. Moist. What is your least favorite word? Or Inside the Actor's Studio. Moist. Moist. That was my least favorite word! What turned you on? Wow, how many shows have done this? I mean, we could be here a while. Moist has become this comedy bomb that you can drop to make people cringe. It wasn't always the case. She's pathologically afraid of balloons and hates the word moist. She thinks it's pornographic. So that right there seems to be one of the first, if not the first, pop culture reference to moist aversion. This is delicious. And moist. There's a show, Dead Like Me, that came out in 2003, where the main character knows how to push the buttons of her mom, and one of those buttons is an aversion to moist uh, in her mom. This is Paul Thibodeau. And I'm an associate professor of psychology at Oberlin College. And he's the one who pointed me to the Dead Like Me clip, but I wanted to talk with him because of a paper he published. The title is A Moist Crevice for Word Aversion in Semantics, Not Sounds. And I picked crevice because that's another word that um, people often report as aversive. Crevice, that was one of the words on the list that you gave me. Is Paul afflicted himself with word aversion? No, and he says that word aversion, it's not super mainstream topic in psycholinguistics. I'm certainly constantly interacting with people who do find words um, aversive, and in particular the word moist. Um, A lot of students at Oberlin find that word um, really aversive and difficult to hear. And he's interested in psychology and language, so he realized that researching the topic of moist aversion might be a way to engage students in the nitty-gritty of things like statistics and research methods. So how do you even begin to test people's aversion to just a single word? So you consider different possibilities. So one idea is that it's the sound of the word that induces the aversion. So the harsh sort of oi diphthong contrasted against the harsher consonant st at the end might contribute to the aversion. Oftentimes when people talk about aversion to the word moist, they think it's because the sound of the word bothers them. And it turned out that there wasn't much to support that in Paul's experiments because other words that he tested with similar sounds like hoist, joist, foist, rejoice, they're not aversive. So the next hypothesis is to look at semantics, the meaning. How we use the word, what its semantic associates are, some of the associations with moist that could be negative relate to um, sex or bodily function. People also seem to think that Moist aversion might be tied to some sort of sexual association. And Paul's research also did not support that. But it did show support for moist aversion being tied to an aversion to bodily functions. So on that note, I wondered about the word oyster. Because it has a lot of the same sound properties as moist, and no one wants to eat a dry oyster. You know, what is an oyster if not a moist, raw, slimy creature that is still alive when you eat it? And it might make you violently ill and lead to some really unpleasant bodily functions. But Paul's experiments did not test the word oyster, so further research on that is needed. (laughs) 
I did wonder about moist versus its closest synonyms. So Paul says, you know, there's no widespread reports of aversion to words like wet or damp. But when I thought about it, there's this key difference between wet, damp, and moist. You know, if you say the sidewalk is wet, the source of wetness is external to the sidewalk, right? Rain or sprinkler. If you say the towel is damp, the source of the dampness is external to the towel. But if you say the cake is moist. Ah, right. That's coming from inside the cake. Exactly. So maybe people just have this instinctual sense that, that moistness comes from, from within. Right. It's like that horror movie where it's like the call is coming from inside the house. Okay, I get the ew factor now. And this idea of moisture being something that we just sense that it's coming from inside, that resonated with Paul. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought of that before, but that's a really nice insight. But Mark Lieberman, who's the linguist from UPenn, he had some doubts about this. Well, that makes a great deal of sense. Uh, but you have to apply the same kind of insight to explain what's wrong with luggage and pugilist and hardscrabble and so on. But unlike luggage and such, there's this question of whether moist aversion is socially contagious. You know, when you hear moist as a joke on John Oliver, and then you see a Facebook page titled, I hate the word moist with 19,000 members. And then you see multiple articles on what an awful word moist is on BuzzFeed. You're absorbing the idea that this word is not kosher. And that could help explain why moist aversion is on the rise. Yeah, it really seems to be a a group phenomenon. So who, who are these people? Who is in this group? Right. And that is one part of Paul's research that stood out to me. So the prototypical moist-averse participant is sort of a younger female who's a little bit disgusted by bodily function and a little bit more neurotic than sort of average in the population. And how is neuroticism um, defined? So neuroticism is defined as the tendency to worry and to, yeah, tendency to worry, I guess, is the most succinct definition. Patrick, I am maybe a little bit moist-averse, though I think it's because I've absorbed some of the social messaging around the word. But I cannot stop thinking about the fact that it's mostly females, ages 20 to 30, who are a little bit disgusted by bodily function and a little more prone to worry than the average person who are most likely to be moist-averse. So I am going to pull some big sister rank here and say it is time for some real talk, like capital R, capital T, Real talk. Growing up is fun, but some of the things Molly used to do seem a little silly now. Sometimes she gets all mixed up just thinking. This is a short film about menstruation from the 50s. But Molly has questions. Miss Jensen, is it true that people can tell when you're menstruating? No, it isn't. But you should be more careful than ever about personal cleanliness and change your underwear more often and be sure and use a deodorant. And pay more attention to your hair and your nails and plan to wear your prettiest dress. So let me translate into modern parlance for my younger sisters. It's basically, hey, ladies, you're going to bleed for five days and you probably feel like lukewarm garbage, but it's time to slay some looks, get a mani-pedi, and slap on some secret clinical strength. (laughs) I mean, I don't even know what to say about the change your underwear more often thing, but, you know, women who were raised with these kinds of ideas about menstruation would have been raising girls growing up in the 80s and 90s, and that's my generation. 
we grew up with messages like this. Discreetly pocket-sized, 30% smaller, but same comfort and protection. Playtex and so discreet. New Playtex Portables, a full-size tampon and a discreet. compact applicator pack. That's code for don't talk about it. Don't offend anyone. Be as inconspicuous as possible. Because? Because the consequences of people finding out that you have your period are bad. This is a recent Saturday Night Live parody commercial. Psst. Do you have a, you know, a tampon? Oh, heck yeah. No, not here. Someone will see. Relax. Supposedly it was no cut for time so it didn't even air and it's only available online. piece of dog poop? Open it. What do you mean, open it? Just look inside. And lo. There's a tampon in here. Yep, but they won't know. They'll just see the poop. Introducing Tampax Secrets, the only tampon... I realized that this was a journey, and it was not the one that I expected to go on when I started looking into word aversion. You know, I did not expect that all word aversion roads would lead to the word moist, and that I'd be thinking about gynecological functions and how rooted they are in moisture. But if it's true that young women who have some schooling and are prone to worry and are averse to bodily function are more likely to be moist-averse... I thought it important to turn that rock over and just look at what's going on underneath. By the way, once you're old enough to not have to worry about things, you're an old woman. A dried-up old woman. Have you ever heard anyone referred to a dried-up old man? No, I can't say I have. I rest my case. You know, I want to go back to this thing we just talked about, the traits, you know, youth, gender, neuroticism. In a way, it seems to me like misogyny could be at play in terms of moist aversion. Yes. I think there's probably some role for misogyny in moist aversion. So I think the cultural expectations around gender and bodily function are just very different for boys and girls and men and women. And I think there's a lot of additional pressure that's probably put on girls and women to hide issues related to bodily function or just hide bodily function and effluvia in general and to feel shame and guilt around it. And I think that's probably playing a role here. Do you think there's a solution, like like a cure for word aversion? I asked Paul about this, and he suggested exposure therapy. You know, that's an effective way um, for people who have phobias to deal with their phobias. You could be, if you're, uh, you have a phobia about spiders or snakes, you could spend time around them, you could learn about them, you could learn about their value. You could realize that your reaction is maybe overblown and... At least with my the words that I'm averse to, I think having thought about them a lot for this episode, I'm not going to start using them. I'm not going to start loving them. But at worst, I'm resigned to them. I think at best, I can laugh about myself a little bit more. And if anything, that itself, there's some merit in that. You can find us in all the usual social media spots and at subtitlepod.com. Help us spread the word. Tell your friends and family about Subtitle. And please give us a review wherever you listen. Sound design is by Tina Toby. Special thanks to Michelle Cove, Eric Schumann, Indra Pillay, Wade Rausch, and all of our friends at the Hub & Spoke Audio Collective, Isabel Hibbard, Ken Taylor, Brett Alshul, Chandra McCann, Rachel Udelman, Joyce Maxwell, Chris Bolton, Julie Sedevi, and everyone who shared their word affinities and aversions with us, we're just sorry that we couldn't include them all. 
And if you cannot get enough of this topic, I highly recommend Language Log. It's a blog all about linguistics, and it's run by Professor Mark Lieberman, whom you heard in this episode. And there's lots of contributions from linguophiles from all over who have really sharp insights into how we speak. We'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.